In this chapter we have holiness to the Lord described in mourning, in eating, in tithing, in feasting, and in charity. God calls his people to be holy unto him. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Verse 1. Ye are the children of the Lord your God. Ye shall not cut yourselves, nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. And the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself. Above all the nations that are upon the earth, thou shalt not eat any abominable thing. These are the beasts which ye shall eat, the ox, the sheep, and the goat, the hart, and the roebuck, and the fallow deer, and the wild goat, and the pygarg, and the wild ox, and the chamois, and every beast that parteth the hoof, and cleaveth the cleft into two claws, and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that ye shall eat. Nevertheless, these ye shall not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the cloven hoof, as the camel, and the hare, and the coney. For they chew the cud, but divide not the hoof. Therefore they are unclean unto you. And the swine, because it divideth the hoof, yet cheweth not the cud, it is unclean unto you. Ye shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their dead carcass. These ye shall eat of all that are in the waters. All that have fins and scales shall ye eat. And whatsoever hath not fins and scales ye may not eat. It is unclean unto you. Of all clean birds ye shall eat, but these are they of which ye shall not eat. The eagle, and the osophrage, and the osprey, and the gleed, and the kite, and the vulture after his kind, and every raven after his kind, and the owl, and the nighthawk, and the cuckoo, and the hawk after his kind, the little owl, and the great owl, and the swan, and the pelican, and the gyre eagle, and the cormorant, and the stork, and the heron after her kind, and the lapwing, and the bat. And every creeping thing that flieth is unclean unto you, they shall not be eaten. But of all clean fowls ye may eat. Ye shall not eat of anything that dieth of itself, thou shalt give it unto the stranger that is in thy gates, that he may eat it. Or thou mayest sell it unto an alien, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not seethe a kid in his mother's milk. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed, that the field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the firstlings of thy herds and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. And if the way be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then shalt thou turn it into money, and bind up the money in thine hand, 
and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice thou and thine household. And the Levite that is within thy gates, thou shalt not forsake him, for he hath no part nor inheritance with thee. At the end of three years thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year, and shalt lay it up within thy gates. And the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow which are within thy gates, shall come, and shall eat, and be satisfied, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou doest." Thus far the reading of God's holy word from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14. A few comments on this most important passage of the law, illustrating various points that God wants for his people to take and to meditate upon. Verses 1 and 2, holiness in mourning. When people die and we love them, we mourn. This is natural. It's understandable. But here, notice, God in our mourning says, Ye are the children of the Lord your God. Literally, you are the sons of the Lord your God. B'nai, children, chosen, separated, called, adopted into God's family, and therefore what? Ye shall not cut yourselves. You'll recall when the prophets of Baal sought to get their sacrifice to burn. They wanted Baal to call down fire from heaven. What did they do? They cut themselves. They would do this as part of their worship, and it would demonstrate, so they thought, the sincerity of their worship here, the sincerity of their mourning for the dead. We will cut ourselves. We will print ourselves. We will make baldness between our eyes. In other words, to shave off portions of their head out of mourning. God says, you must not be this way. And when Judah fell to semi-heathen idolatry in Jeremiah 41.5, what do we find them doing for the dead? Mourning like the heathen. God says, no baldness between your eyes, no cuts upon your flesh. Now the heathen, you'll recall, they offered up their children in sacrifice to their gods. Weren't they sincere? Oh, they were willing to give their beloved children into the fire for their gods. Why aren't you that sincere? God says, no, I don't want your sincerity. I don't want you to behave like these heathens who do these evil deeds, who disfigure their bodies or their hair in order to demonstrate that they are sincere. Sincerity in the worship of God consists in doing what God commands with your whole heart engaged not in doing things you make up yourself. Note then that God, here, notice verse 2, Thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee. How are we made holy? Because God chose us. We did not drum up the holiness ourselves. It is rather in the calling and the uh, almighty power of God that a people are made holy. This doctrine then, God calls to holiness through his adopting grace. Children must reflect the image of their father. That's what God is saying. I am your father. 
I have chosen and adopted you. Be like me. Be holy as I am holy. Let us then reflect the image of our Heavenly Father, being holy as he is holy. Let us recall that we have a holy calling throughout the whole course of our life. In all of our conversation, Peter says, be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Let us not conform ourselves to the image of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, God says. Then verses 3 through 21, be holy in eating. God says in verse 3 to Israel, thou shalt not eat any abominable thing. Now this is very important. God forbids it, therefore it's an abominable thing. That's what he's saying. These things are not abominable in themselves. But when God says, don't eat this, what should our affections do in response to the commandment of God? We should abominate it. We should hate it. It should sicken us, cause rage and hatred against it. Forbidden by me, therefore, it should be abominable to you. Let us then love what God loves. Let us hate what he hates. That's what God is illustrating for Israel teaching them in stick figures, in the rudiments of the world. Love what I love, hate what I hate. Let these things be abominable unto you. Now, a few notes on some of the more obscure words here. Verse 5 refers to a pygarg. This is a type of antelope, possibly even a unicorn, as the Geneva Bible translates it. Verse 5 refers to the chamois, or the wild sheep, or goat. Noah Webster in his dictionary says that this animal produces a soft leather called a chamois. You've heard of that, perhaps working with cars. You chamois after you, you want to get a nice soft shine on a car, they would use a chamois to do that. Chamois is where we get that from. Notice then the general rules he gave to Israel in verse 6. They part the hoof, cleave the cleft into two claws, and chew the cud. Well, why is that? Because God said so. God determined with his sovereign right over Israel to say, these are the particular rules that I will make for you. God is a legislator. And in any indifferent matters that are neither good nor evil in themselves, if God makes a determination, we must obey. His will is a rule and a law to us. Has God spoken to a matter? Then we must obey what he says. Does it make sense to us? Maybe not. Does it need to make sense to us? No, it does not. And how much more when God speaks to those matters that are not indifferent in themselves, but rather good or evil in themselves, how much more should we listen to him? Verse 7, he says, They must chew the cud and divide the hoof into a cloven hoof, These two things have to meet in one beast, he says. You can't say, well, he's halfway there, right? He cleaves the hoof, but it's not in two pieces like the camel. Well, it's almost there, Lord. Isn't it okay if it's almost what you say? God says, no. It's not okay if it's almost what I say. It must be all of what I say. And don't make excuses. No half obedience. No excuses made to the Lord. He gives them clearly his revealed will. Then verses 9 and 10, laws concerning those in the waters. 
that may or may not be eaten. It had to have fins and scales, not one, both. And then they could eat it. Verses 11 through 20, the Lord gives laws concerning those in the air, the fowl of the heavens, the creeping things that fly. Verse 12 refers to the osophrage. This means os is your bone in Latin. Frage is to break something, (coughs) fragile, breakable. So therefore, an osophrage is a bone breaker. Some people believe this was a bearded vulture. The osprey is mentioned in verse 12, a black eagle perhaps, or a buzzard, maybe even a sea eagle. The gleed in verse 13, this is a greedy bird that would go around to get as much as he could, possibly like a vulture. The kite in verse 13 is a bird of prey. Verse 15 refers to the cuckoo, like the gull or a lovebird or the seagull. The lapwing Some people believe this to be the hoopoe or the tuit. And then verse 21, you'll notice the Lord says, after giving all of these rules, he says, thou shalt give it unto the stranger that is in thy gates, that he may eat it, or thou mayest sell it unto an alien. The thing dies of itself. Maybe it's a clean animal. You can't eat it, he says, but what can you do? You're just going to bury it? No, he says, you can give it to the stranger. You can feed it to them. You can sell it to those who are foreigners within your midst, in your nation, or within your own gates. In other words, God is making it abundantly clear that these things are not evil in themselves. They are evil because God prohibited them to Israel. We have a phrase in our common law. Something may be malum in se, evil in itself, Or something may be malum in prohibitum, evil because it's prohibited. This is what God is distinguishing here. It's not evil in itself to eat these animals, even if they die of themselves. But it is evil to you because I prohibit it to you. I note then this doctrine. There are Mosaic laws given to the Jews as Jews. This shall be unclean unto you, he says. This is given to you as a peculiar people, as a nation set apart from the heathens. Then, listen carefully, there are given laws to them by Moses as men, as those created in the image of God, as those who bear the stamp of God's impress, like the Ten Commandments. And we must recognize that God gave certain laws to Israel as Jews and certain laws to them as men and certain laws are mixed. Part of the law is of what we call general equity in our confession. That's given to them as men because it's not specific to them as Jews. Therefore, it's general. And the word equity means justice or righteousness. Those laws of general equity address them so that they as men represent all nations. These laws of particular equity address them uniquely in that nation and that place at that time. And why is it right? Because God said so. Not because it's good in itself or evil in itself, but because God prohibited malum in prohibitum. For more information on this topic, I highly recommend one of the Westminster Scottish delegates, George Gillespie's book, Wholesome Severity, in which he handles this very topic. 
Also, uh, Francis Junius on the polity of Moses and Johannes Piscator's disputations on the judicial laws of Moses. In all of these, they help us to see what laws in the Old Testament and the law of Moses in particular, which ones address them as Jews, which ones address them as men created in the image of God, and which ones are mixed. Because this is very important for us as Gentiles to distinguish those things that differ. On the one hand, we can Judaize and we can become those who say, well, it's written in the law of Moses, therefore I have to do it. I can't eat the lapwing. I can't eat this. I can't eat that. And on the other hand, we might say, well, I can commit adultery. After all, that's a Jewish law. It's just written to them as Jews. It doesn't apply to me as a Gentile. I can live like I will. So we must know how to avoid the two ditches that Satan presents for us when we read the Old Testament. Let us also rejoice, we who are Gentiles, in a church come of age, we no longer have these distinctions made. When we read this through, I told you, some of these birds, we might not know what they are. Some of these animals, we might not know. What exactly is that? But the good thing is, we don't need to know. At the end of the day, we need to know that we are a holy people and that if God speaks to a matter, we better listen to what he says. And if he says something is indifferent, but I'm going to determine how you do it, we better do what he says. That's the principle we must take away. But we can rejoice that we have been released from this yoke that God placed on the Jews. We have been given the substance to which all of these merely Jewish laws point toward. We live in a simple age with a simple form of worship, with laws that are plain and clear and easily understood, but do not concern the minutia of bats and birds and gazelles. Verse 12, or excuse me, verse 21, the Lord says, thou shalt not seethe a kid in his mother's milk. Now we've looked at this law before, Exodus 23, 19. Exodus 34, 26, both are in the context of the provision of the first fruits. So you have your firstborn of a goat. You also have your first fruits of your field. That's the context in those two passages. Here, the question concerns us, does it mean that you can't take and put a pot of milk and dip the kid in it. That would be very difficult in its own mother's milk. You'd have to save up a lot of milk. Or does it mean while that particular kid is feeding milk from its mother? Is that what it's talking about? So young and tender, you take it from its mother and then you seethe it in the fire and eat it for yourself? That seems to be the overall context of the passages in Exodus 23 and Exodus 34. But in any case, God again is making the point that he is holy, and therefore when he commands something, you must do it, and when he prohibits something, you must not do it, even if it doesn't make sense to you. Then verses 22 through 29, be holy in tithing, feasting, and charity. Notice verse 23. The Lord says, And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. And then he refers to this tithe. Now you recall from the book of Leviticus all the tithes that God gave. Who received the tithe? Did they keep it to themselves? Did they keep it at home? No, they would give it to the Levite, wouldn't they? 
And then the Levite would turn around and take a tithe of his tithes and he would give it to the priests, the sons of Aaron, in the holy place. So this is not that tithe, in other words. This is an additional tithe, which I believe is also described in verse 28 as every three years. God says, I require my tithe that you give to my ministers who do my bidding, the Levites, and then you will take this tithe, this extra tithe, about three and a third percent per year, you might say, because it's 10% every third year, and I want you to do something with this tithe. He says, I want you to come where you worship me, and I want you to enjoy it. I want you to rejoice in the gifts that I have given you. This is not the natural tithe that Abraham observed when he gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Written and imprinted upon the conscience of all men, Jacob gives a tithe of everything. He makes a vow that when he returns to Bethel, he'll give a tithe to the Lord. It's not that tithe. No, this is something different, something unique, something given to them for their particular circumstances. God was going to teach them a lesson. And what is that lesson? Well, everything belongs to God, therefore you better not enjoy it when you have it. Is that what God says? No. Everything belongs to me, God says, and so I want you to come into my presence and to enjoy those good things that I've given you, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. People who do not rejoice in the good things of this life do not fear God. Those who are ascetics, such as the monks used to be, or even some Christians are, oh, I'll eat this because I have to, but I don't want to enjoy it. Ooh, if I enjoy it, I'm sinning. And so I shouldn't enjoy my food. I shouldn't rejoice in it. Oh, don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. You remember that from the book of Colossians? Touch not, taste not, handle not. All things which perish with the eating. What does Paul say? We're to give thanks in all the good things God has given us. We're to rejoice in his gifts. And this is what Moses says as well. This is part of fearing God. Rejoicing in his goodness to you. God prospers us. And our response is to be respect. To fear him. To rejoice in his goodness. Notice he says, verse 26. Thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul... (gasps) Lusteth after? The monk said, I have to deny myself. I can't eat any food. You know what they would eat? Salt, water, bread, because they were so holy, weren't they? No, they were demonic. They were possessed by demons who said, oh, you shouldn't enjoy the gifts of God. God says, your soul is going to ask you for things. That's literally what it means. It's going to say, I want you to feed me with that food. And what are you supposed to say? Ah, I am so holy. I will not do such things. No flesh shall cross my lips. That's what the monk said. It's heathenism. It's godless. It's satanic. God encourages moderation, of course. He does not say get drunken with your wine. Get drunken with your food. No. But God says, rejoice in it. Appreciate the good that I have given to you and learn to fear me. He says, rejoice. Not just, I guess I'll kind of enjoy it. No, rejoice in this gift of God 
Thou, he says, and thine household, teach your kids to rejoice in the gifts of God. Oh, the monks would not be pleased with this law of Moses. That's why they thought the New Testament had these rules of perfection, because they said, oh, the Old Testament's so fleshly. We can't think about those sorts of things. But God says, rejoice in his bounty, teach your kids to do likewise, and what else? Look out for others. The Levite, verse 29, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow, which are within thy gates, shall come, and shall eat, and be satisfied. What do these people have in common in their land? The Levite has no inheritance. The stranger has no nation. The fatherless has no dad. The widow has no husband. What are they exposed to? Danger, aren't they? These people wouldn't have provision. They wouldn't have someone to look out for them. You're here from a foreign land. <laughs> we can do whatever we want to you. And who are you going to ask to help you? Nobody. So God says, look out for them. Provide for them. Those who have no father can be taken advantage of. In fact, this is often where prostitution comes in. Oh, well, we need some money. There's no dad to provide. Send the girls out. Sell them off. Get some money. This is how the heathens think about things. Oh, we're a victim. We can do evil that good may come. That's how they think. God says, no. You, you whole nation of Israel, when you have your third year tithe, when you lay up this extra that I give to you to rejoice in, don't forget those who are in need. Remember them. And God says he will bless you. He will do good to you. He will look after your needs because you deserve it. And you earned it by looking after the fatherless and the widow. No, 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 no. no. He's encouraging you to do good, not rewarding you for doing good. And thus far, the explanation of Deuteronomy chapter 14.